You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament to the first letter of Peter, 1 Peter 2 at 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then we turn to the next chapter, Peter 3 at verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The text for this morning's sermon comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, at verse 38 through 42. This text comes from the passage in Scripture commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, words of the Lord Jesus who is speaking here. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, two miles... Give to the one who asks away from the one and fine. The citations of the law that the Lord Jesus gives to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And in this one, he teaches his people about laws concerning justice, retribution, and revenge. 
And we must always realize when we read the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the mountain surrounded by great crowds of people who had followed him. These are not heathens. These are the covenant people of God listening to him. And these are people who lived within the covenant people. They were Israelites, sons of Jacob, sons of Judah. Of course, there's others who lived in Palestine at the time. There's foreigners, Samaritans, Romans. But for the most part, in the towns and villages of Galilee and Judea, the people who came to hear the Lord Jesus preach, they were Israelites and who wanted to live as such. They were God-fearing people. And here... Jesus is, again, teaching them how to live with their neighbors, with their fellow Jews, first of all. He's teaching them how to live with fellow believers. His teaching, of course, bridges relationships also with unbelievers, with non-church people. But first of all, this is about relationships within God's people. And the Lord Jesus Christ teaches his disciples to live lives of self-denial. The theme for our sermon, we'll see two things. The Pharisees' interpretation of Moses' law of justice and the Lord's interpretation of Moses' law of justice. So first of all, how did the Pharisees understand this law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth? When we hear the Lord Jesus speak, then we hear directly Moses' law. And where we can, can we find that? It's repeated three times in the law of Moses. In Exodus 21, 24... Leviticus 24.20 and Deuteronomy 19.21. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, wound for wound, stripe for stripe, foot for foot, hand for hand, burn for burn, bruise for bruise. What did Moses mean? Did he mean that if you, if you had a tooth knocked out in a fight, then you could demand that the one who punched you should lose a tooth as well. Could happen on the hockey rink. Or if someone caused the blindness of another, that he should be blinded back. What, what exactly did Moses mean when he said that life for life, eye for eye, and then that long list, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, and it goes on. Well, we need to understand that Moses' law in its entirety is one which restrains restrains sinful man. And the Lord Jesus in his work testifies that he maintains the law. He doesn't negate it, no, he fulfills and he completes it. And he wants his people, we read in the next chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, he wants his people to be more righteous in their relationships to the law than the Pharisees. He wants his people to be more righteous than the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees had tried to reduce the law to things that they could do. And having done them, they would be righteous. We, we could see that in the context, if you would read this, maybe you could do that over lunch, you read the passage before here, that as long as they didn't kill their brother, it would be okay to question his moral integrity or his intellectual capacity. But the Lord shows us that insulting your brother is as bad as murder. He wanted his people to live what we would sing in, in, in Psalm 15, for instance. The one who honors the integrity of those who love the Lord will dwell with the Lord. 
Those who do not honor the integrity of their brothers and sisters are in the eyes of the Lord murderers. Or the Lord goes on in, in, the, in the passage before our text that those who lust after the opposite or the same sex are adulterers. Not just those who have sexual relationships out of marriage. Or, or Moses' laws of divorce, the Lord Jesus say, are not just some legal way of getting rid of your wife, your marriage partner. No, the Lord Jesus shows how Moses' law about divorce upholds and honors marriage. And just before our text, Moses' law concerning oaths it doesn't simply legislate how and when to tell the truth. No, Jesus taught, no, the laws of Moses concerning oaths are to lead God's people to faithfulness and truthfulness. And now the law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It seems so crude. What could it mean? Well, we have to understand that as with the other laws concerning murder and adultery and divorce and oath, Moses is restraining sinfulness. And what was the sinfulness that he restrains with this law? Well, the natural tendency of sinful man to vendetta and feud, the natural sinful tendency to vigilantism, to revenge. That, that natural tendency to revenge that goes beyond the offense. So Moses puts forth a measure of justice that sets the punishment in relationship to the offense. The natural tendency is always to take the law into our own hands. When offended, sinners want to offend back. They want revenge, personal justice. And, and then they might enlist their, their friends and their family to assist them. But God, through Moses, appointed judges for the people. And these judges were to settle the disputes between the people. Justice was not just simply in the hands of individuals, but in the hands of the community. When members of the community take justice into their own hands, we call that vigilantism, mob rule. It's the kind of justice that happens when a, a sniper, a man with a gun, decides to kill an abortionist. He sneaks up in the dark and kills someone. Moses and the rest of Scripture says, that's not justice. That's murder. Vendettas and disputes that seek and wreak revenge outside the law against one who has done wrong. A feud is when a family is enlisted to do that against the wrongdoer's family. In one of Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer books, we can learn of what vendetta and feud are about. Huckleberry Finn asks a friend, What's a feud? Why, where were you raised, Huck? Don't you know what a feud is? Never heard of it. Tell me about it. Well, a feud is this way, answers his friend. A man has a quarrel with another man and kills him. Then the other brothers on both sides go for one another, and then the cousins chip in. And by and by, everyone's killed off, and there ain't no more feud, but it's kind of slow, and it takes a long time. It's the way of the McCoys and the Hatfields, of the Ozarks in the eastern USA, the way of the Mafia, Sicilian justice, and it was the way of the ancients, tribal justice. But Moses taught the people differently. A law of restraint, punishment to fit the crime, not a life for a wound, or a knife for a blow, or a death for an insult. We could think of Lamech in Genesis 4, 
and his song of revenge. Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. That is man in his sin. Cain was not put to death for his sin of murdering his brother, but cursed and driven from the ground. Even the Lord God exercised restraint. But Lamech scoffs. He takes justice into his own hands. Even if God even protected Cain from revenge with the threat of justice, Lamech seizes hold of it and makes his his own. Not seven times, but he will be avenged and revenged 77 times. But Moses' law legislates against that. His is a law of non-vigilantism. Justice is for the courts, for judges, and the community. And his law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, sets the measure of justice, the maximum, not more than the crime. As with Cain, less is even possible, but not more. We, we can think of, of what Moses says after the eye-for-eye eye law is given in Exodus 21. Immediately after that, we have the laws legislating freedom for slaves who are injured by their masters. They don't get their master's eye if struck and lose an eye. The law says if a slave is struck by his master and he loses his eye, he doesn't demand the eye of his master. No, he gets freedom. And remember, many of slaves in Israel were fellow Israelites. But what had the Pharisees done with this law in the day of Jesus? They had made it a matter of personal rights. If wrong, they could do the same in return. They could do so personally. This was personal justice. It was a right, they said, legislated by Moses. Moses said they thought and they taught. Moses said they had a right to demand an exact revenge, personal vengeance. Moses' law did not put forth the maximum the Pharisees taught. No, it was, it was not a rule for mercy. It was a rule for justice minimums. Moses says, I can get even. But Jesus' counterpoint, his answer to Lamech's sinful pride is the, the evangelical counterpoint, the gospel counterpoint. Forgive not seven times, but 77 times. And what's the Lord's interpretation of Moses' law of justice? Well, his is one of self-denial. One of self-denial. He says that Moses didn't mean, don't get mad, get even. He teaches with Moses that Lamech's attitude is one from the evil one, from the devil. Satan is the evil one, and he is the one who has instigated Adam to sin. He is the one who brought sin and lie and murder into the world. He is the one for whom lies and murder and revenge are native languages. The lack of faithfulness and truthfulness addressed in the verses before our text are attributed to the evil one. And now Jesus, the Lord Jesus, speaks of the evil one, an evil person. And he uses exactly the same word. Don't resist the evil person, the evil one. 
Now, we know, of course, that we are to resist the devil. Think only of James 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And yet here the Lord Jesus uses exactly the same word. So he, he tells us, don't resist the evil person, that is, someone motivated by the devil. And by saying this, he shows that this is about interpersonal relationships. It's not about seeking justice in the courts. So the, so the Lord says, what's really at stake here? The, the Pharisees use Moses' law for personal relationships. Moses says, eye for eye. And the Lord Jesus says, you take this to mean that you have the right to personal vengeance. But Moses' law was given precisely to end personal vengeance, to regulate justice, to stop revenge, to give judges the standard of measure so that there would be no feuds and no vendettas. You say that you can use Moses' law to resist those who do wrong, but I say to you, don't do that. Don't do that. You've, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you've turned Moses' law inside out and backwards. You've perverted it to mean exactly what it's intended to stop. So the Lord gives his teaching about what to do when wronged in a personal way. He says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, many people have interpreted this to mean that resistance of any kind is wrong. Nations may not take up arms. Self-defense is not allowed. But the scripture teaches us differently. The government is empowered with the sword, Paul says in Romans 13. He writes somewhere else that, that those who don't take care and protect their households are worse than pagans. Those who refuse to seek justice for the poor or righteousness for the oppressed are wicked, the scripture teaches us. No, when Jesus says this, turn the other cheek, he is speaking of self-denial. Each of the four sayings that come here about the cheek the cloak, the mile, and our goods are focused on self-denial, the denial of personal right. So the Lord says if someone strikes you on the right cheek, and, and, and the word here for striking describes the back of the right hand against the right cheek. It's an insult. Not a slap or an attack, but an insult. A Gesture of disdain, of slur, affront, abuse. Uh, for example, in Victorian England, someone would take the glove and slap it in the face of someone. It was a challenge to a duel. But the Lord says, don't defend yourself. Don't claim the right of honor. No, rather be insulted twice. Turn the other cheek for another insult. Don't resist the one who does that. And, and the word to resist is, is the word to stand against. The New Testament teaches us not to resist God, His will, His truth, His, His authority. But, but we're, not to, we're, we're not to resist the Holy Spirit, Paul says somewhere. We're to resist the devil. But here the Lord is saying, don't resist an evil person one who does such evil, who insults the man of integrity. 
the man of Psalm 26. Note that the Lord doesn't deny that the one who insults is evil. He does not condone evil behavior. He just says, don't retaliate. Don't take revenge. Deny yourself your honor, your rights for justice. Let the insulter insult. Let the accuser accuse. Proverbs says, A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Or in another place in Proverbs, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. And the Lord teaches us to what length we must go. He says to those who are the blessed ones, those people that the Beatitudes describe, He says to them, let the evil person insult you because you are a blessed people. You are poor in spirit. You're humble and meek and merciful. You're the peacemakers. You're the ones who mourn for your own sinfulness. You're the ones who seek righteousness, who hunger and thirst for it. You are the ones who are pure in heart. You're the ones persecuted for righteousness' sake, he says to his disciples. Turn the other cheek to the insulter. Notice that the Lord never says, if you see your neighbor insulted, turn away. He doesn't say, let the striker strike again. No, he says, don't defend yourself. The eye-for-eye law did two things. It checks wild revenge, and it teaches proper justice administered by those who are appointed for these things. The Lord wants justice for the oppressed. He wants society to be ruled by his law, but his disciples go further. For in the Christian life, disciples of the Lord Jesus, those whom by God's grace and Holy Spirit are his disciples, whom the Beatitudes describe, those people live a life of injury, a life of long-suffering. And then he gives those four examples. The first being insult, injury to honor. We, we might call that the slap example. The, the Lord Jesus experienced this in his own life. As he stood at trial, he was slapped in the face. Did he seek revenge for his honor? Did he say, it is my right to strike back because of the insult? There he was, the Lord of glory, slapped by a private in the army at his own trial. True injustice. After his trial, we read in Matthew and Luke that Jesus is blindfolded, slapped in his face by soldiers, spit upon. And he remained silent. We read in John that during his trial before the high priest, a court official struck him in the face. Jesus simply asked him what he had done wrong. But if he had spoken the truth, why strike him? The Lord was silent. Even as, as Peter tells us, he was there in the shadows watching. He saw it himself even as he denied the Lord. We read it in the scripture reading in Peter. Peter saw it as an eyewitness. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults, he didn't retaliate. The Lord Jesus gives us another example. The second is about 
unfair treatment. The evil person, he wants to sue you for your shirt. Let him have your coat as well. Uh, The text here speaks of the two basic pieces of clothing a man of Jesus' day would wear. If a man sues you for your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The tunic is the undergarment, long shirt with sleeves, and the coat was that which you wore for protection against wind and rain, and it would serve as a blanket at night. The Lord Jesus' teaching here is extreme, to say the least. He's saying, rather go naked than fight. If someone is going to take you to to court for your shirt, he's going to sue the shirt off your back, Jesus says, just let him have it all. Don't resist the evil person. When it depends on you, let him have his way. Drastic non-resistance. We might say where that that cheap and, and slap instruction example of Jesus, it touches on the disciple's honor in connection to his person, his name. This one about the shirt and the coat concerns honor about your possessions. You know, people are so concerned about saving face. It's about my honor. It's about my integrity. Sinful souls always want to self-protect. People are forever standing upon their rights and their honor and their name. But the Christian never does. He may appeal at times to legitimate courts and magistrates in the church and outside, but on his own, the Lord teaches us on his own, the disciple is not to defend his own honor. He's who entrusts himself to the one who judges justly, Peter says. Do not repay evil with evil, Paul teaches us in Romans. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. As the Proverbs say, do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. And he will have his justice for the oppressed. We confess in Article 37 in the Belgian Confession that the innocence of God's people will be made known to all. They will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring upon the wicked ones, the ones who persecuted and oppressed and tormented his people in this world. The Christian, however, needs to learn to wait. We can pray with Psalm 43, O judge me, God, of my salvation. Plead thou my cause, defending me against a cruel, ungodly nation. These are the words of the Lord Jesus at his trial, we might say, from a deceitful generation. O save thou me and set me free that I may honor thee. Thou art my stronghold from oppression. Or Psalm 26, we sang that already. O vindicate me, Lord. Just think of the Lord Jesus again. Crucified. The Roman soldiers didn't think that he needed his clothes anymore. And they stripped him of his shirt and his cloak. His cloak they tore and divided among themselves for rags. His tunic was special. It had no seams, so they cast lots for it. We might say that this word of the Lord Jesus comes true in his own life. He lived this truth in his own life. If they want your tunic... Give him your cloak as well. The scripture teaches us that the magistrates are there to punish evildoers, that they've been given by the Lord to restrain the wickedness of men. 
The magistrate's revenge, Calvin says somewhere, you can find it in his Institutes at 4.20.17. Calvin says it's God's revenge, not man's. But the Lord takes defensiveness away from his disciples when he commands the turning of the cheek. He takes away the desire to sue in defense of property by his command of giving the coat. And then he says, if someone drafts you to carry baggage for one mile, carry it for two. And the word here for forces is a word that means being pressed into military service. The time in, in the Roman Empire, a Roman soldier could force a citizen of the occupied territories of the subject colonies, a Roman soldier could force anybody to carry his baggage for a mile. Along the main roads, there were mile markers. He could do this by commandeering a beast of burden, a mule, a donkey, or a camel, or, or even just a person. And Jesus says, well, if Roman law says that the soldier is entitled to you for one mile, well, go for two. Be exploited. This was considered one of the ultimate degradations possible. They hated unclean heathen. Who would want to carry his luggage? So each of these three, the cheek and the coat and the commandeering, all three are insults. The first two might be from a fellow Israelite, bear an insult, be defrauded, but to subject yourselves willingly to Roman tyranny? No, never. The Jews wanted to foster a new pride, a new nationalism. Those were called the zealots. Even one of Jesus' disciples came from the company of zealots. They wanted to restore Jerusalem as the city of the great king over an independent Israel. So this is one of the most offensive commands of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Give in to the foreign exploiter. And the Jew would say, that's too much. Let the imperialists run over us? Never. The Lord Jesus does not ask us to let someone slap someone else. He doesn't tell us to let others be defrauded. He doesn't command us to stand by when others are hurt. No, he says, self-denial. These words are directed to you and me in the singular. When you're insulted, don't retaliate. When sued, do not defend. And when taken advantage of, don't resist. We know that together we sing in our national anthem, O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. We stand up together as a nation where righteousness is a measure of justice. There's, there's a national community standing up for each other. But as sinners, we want to first of all stand up for ourselves. That's our natural inclination. We guard honor jealously. We want to fight back fiercely when we're insulted, the, the slap. We want, when defrauded, the coat. When exploited, the mile. But the Lord Jesus teaches you and me to be poised. Not to be threatened and not to threaten. More trusting of God's justice and righteousness, which will prevail. And this is possible only for those who believe in God. And for the believer, it is truly possible. Jesus himself says, 
in Mark 9, verse 32. All things are possible for the person who believes. It's not the way we live naturally. We know and confess this is the, is, is only because of we, we, we live supernaturally as those who are born of God, of those who are born again, of those who by the Holy Spirit are blessed of the Beatitudes. And then the Lord gives us a fourth instruction about self-denial. Give to the one who asks and do not turn from the one who wants to borrow. And here we are suddenly in very ordinary life. It's not about justice, it seems, about eye for an eye and insults and feuds and vendettas and lawsuits. It's not about exploitation. Suddenly it's just about lending. But notice that Jesus doesn't say just give whatever is asked. He says do not turn away from the one who asks. Augustine says about this passage, it's not about giving whatever. We're not to give excessively or unwisely a gun to a murderer. No, the command focuses on the person. Be willing to part with your goods to those who have less. Deny yourself the luxury of material goods for the sake of those who have less. What good is it, James says, to say to the hungry and the cold, be fed, be warm, and not do something about it? No, self-denial also with respect to one's property. So these four pictures are pictures of the Christian who understands the Beatitudes. They're not not to be applied to other people, to that person or that person in the pew, but each one of us in our own walk with Jesus. And then understand that he took a cross and went the way of self-denial and execution. And as he went, Simon of Cyrene was pressed into military service. He was forced to carry Jesus' burden, the Savior's cross to Calvary. He was forced, we might say, to go a mile. And we too, for the Lord, are to go another mile under our own crosses. And our crosses are not, as, as popularly thought, just the burdens of this life. No, the cross we carry is the cross of self-denial, self-sacrifice. As Paul says of crucifying our old nature, that's what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. We go with him and with Simon to Golgotha. There we are crucified with him. And there he bore insults that we might never be put to shame. There he lost his clothes that we might always be clothed with righteousness. There Jesus went not just an extra mile, but on the path of complete self-denial. And there he became completely poor, that we might overflow with his riches. Martin Luther says of this, This word of Jesus is too high and too hard for any to fulfill it. This is proved by the Lord's word and our own knowledge and experience. Any upright man or woman, he will live in peace with all. He will get on nicely with those who don't provoke him. But let an insult be heard or his property threatened or his honor questioned and anger will be there. If not against friends, then his enemies. If not against the world, then against brothers and sisters in the church. 
Flesh and blood cannot rise above this because it's our human condition. Revenge and anger and retribution. But Paul says, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. So Jesus, we might say, commands the impossible. But there is good hope. For with God all things are possible. So let us then deny ourselves, as Jesus teaches us here. Take up our cross of self-denial and follow the Lord Jesus. Because this command, this word of the Lord Jesus, our text today demands a new life from us. The old crucified. And we know that in ourselves we cannot. But there is good hope, for with God there is new life. In Christ, He's the one who can and does give life and gives it abundantly. The Lord Jesus Himself says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But we say, thanks be to God that in Christ Jesus the kingdom is open because of His self-denial. And in Him His people have life and have it abundantly. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.